I'm Julie Davis, and on today's Back Your People, I'm talking with Laura Smith, one of our associate directors from our employment team, about holidays and, in particular, bank holidays and how you calculate who gets what. So, we will look at the statutory position regarding bank holidays, who decides if you work bank holidays, implications with casual part time workers, and finally, we take a quick look at the government consultation paper regarding the proposed changes to working time, record keeping, and annual leave. So, if you like the podcast, please rate and review, and as ever, thanks for listening. So, great to see you today, Laura, and it seems particularly apt that we're actually talking about holidays in this glorious British summer that we're having. Hi, it absolutely does, and long may it continue. Absolutely. As I was just doing a little bit of prep for this podcast, I came across an article which actually said that millions of UK workers aren't taking annual leave for fear of being judged, and they sort of see not taking a holiday as a badge of honour. I mean, is that something we come across here? I have to say, in our transport sector, our client base does not seem to have that problem all too often but uh, I guess it is a nice problem to have on the one hand albeit you know hopefully they're not storing them up and hoping to roll them over so I suppose it comes with its issues further down the line potentially but we'll uh, we'll look out for that absolutely absolutely okay well as we look at the changing landscape as always with bank holidays of which over the last particularly 12 months we've had an abundance of them haven't we if we look at that can you just please remind everyone what is the statutory position Laura regarding bank holidays Yes. So the first thing to point out um, is that bank holidays are part of your employee's annual leave. So if the workplace is closed, that is. Now, many people automatically assume that public holidays are in addition to their holiday entitlement. But in reality, the fact is that employers actually enhance their employees' holiday entitlement, but this is a voluntary option. So it's not actually a legal obligation. And that's a common sort of misconception that we often find. Okay. I mean, and certainly in the transport sector, which I imagine, you know, this is a real key issue for many of our clients. I mean, who decides if you work bank holidays? It's a valid point because many of our clients are open as normal throughout the holiday year, even on bank holidays and public holidays. So it's actually the contract of employment which dictates whether employees are obliged to work on bank holidays. You know, if your workplace is closed on a bank holiday, then you can insist that employees take these days as part of their entitlement. But where it's open and operations running as usual, which it is for many of our client base, then, you know, your contract of employment is certain starting point. Okay, Laura, so what are the types of things that are generally covered in your employment contract specific to this? So the majority of contracts of employment will address the issue of bank holidays and public holidays and the actual entitlement itself. So whilst that might seem like a a straightforward issue, the number of bank holidays that we've had in addition over the last couple of years, which you identified actually at the outset, has caused lots of queries. And we've had repeated queries from our clients during that period, whether they are additional, whether they're included, whether they're not. And a lot of it turns on the phraseology in the contract itself. So it's always worth re-familiarising yourself with the actual phrase in the contract so that you're equipped to deal with that kind of issue. So, for example, the wording itself might say that the number of days annual leave is X, inclusive of bank holidays and public holidays, whereas another wording, and it could just be purely incidental that you have this type of wording over another, it's often a precedent that's used, might say, in addition to public and bank holidays, your entitlement is X. And what the net effect of that means is that 
you know, in, on, in scenario A, then the bank holidays are actually incorporated into your entitlement, whereas the latter puts it on top. So it does actually give valid reason to, you know, check what your contracts of employment actually say, so that if you're asked and you're queried about it, you're set on yeah. the position. So what your peers may have down the road as their policy, if you rang them to say what's the position, might not actually be correct for your business because the contract might say something different. Okay, and I suppose really as well, as well one of the key messages here I think is clarity because if it's clear in that contract then surely that's going to aid the operator with queries down the line yes exactly clarity is key that's often your you go to and if it's silent on any issue then it leaves it open to ambiguity and the reality is it's so easy to address the number of holidays and how holiday base calculated if relevant is something that can easily be put into a policy or the contract of employment it's very easily resolved you know if it's silent we're probably going off on a bit of a tangent here but what I would say is that in so many businesses you can end up with grievances with people that you employ due to really small things that actually are very very simple to get right and you know if you do that at the outset then it's just bodes well for a better long-term working relationship Exactly. These are exactly the types of issues which are so easily rectified by clarification in your contract terms or a policy. It's so easy to address if you don't have a contract or if you believe there's any ambiguity. You know, we would encourage clients to get in touch because it's something that's very important. It's a statutory right when all said and done, but it's very easily rectified if there's any sort of ambiguity. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, let's hold that thought because there is a case that's just come to light, which I want to cover later on. But before we do, In terms of part-time workers, now, can you just clarify, how does it work with the bank holidays with part-time workers? So if somebody was to work a Monday and Tuesday per week, two days, but Monday and Tuesday, how does it work with the bank holidays for that individual? Or if there's another individual who works two days a week, but they work Wednesday and Thursday, Yes. So if you have a part time worker working two days a week, as you've just explained, their entitlement would be 11.2 days. So that's just prorated work, you know, calculated on a full day prorated down to two. Now, if we concentrate on the four Monday bank holidays of the year, the situation would vary depending on their working week. So if they work a Monday and Tuesday, then they would need to take each bank holiday Monday as paid holiday. This would naturally have the effect of reducing their entitlement from 11.2 days down to 7.2. However, if they work Tuesday and Wednesday, so the days that are not the the bank holiday. Yes, the allocated bank holiday days, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Then this would have no impact on their working life or holiday entitlement because they wouldn't be forced to take a holiday. So they would just keep their 11.2 days entitlement. So, you know, one scenario, it automatically reduces the number of days, whereas the other, it doesn't. Okay. And of course, you know, what are the ramifications for a business if you get this wrong? Well, most issues should be resolved by, you know, raising a grievance if it can't be resolved informally. And we really would strongly encourage that, you know, any issue that's raised, any query that's raised, even if you interpret it more as a moan or a groan, you know, do take it on because ultimately holiday pay claims are a very prominent employment tribunal, whether it be the number of days entitlement, which is 
you know, a hot topic surrounding the number of bank holidays we've had recently. Yes, yeah. And obviously the actual pay itself, which is also a hot topic that we've covered many times. So it does pay to sort of remind yourself of your contracts, what the wording is, do take on grievances seriously with this sort of issue to try and keep yourself out of tribunal. That's right. And I mean, of course, we touched on it a short while ago, but really there's legislative framework regarding employment law. But I think it's always important to remember that you're employing humans and everybody wants to be treated fairly. And if we can remember that, then I think it pays well dividends in the end, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, consistency is another important factor when dealing with this sort of issue. If you can afford flexibility, do so you know if you can be flexible with days off or anything of that nature then do try to be accommodating because it pays dividends further down the line you know with the happy workforce yeah absolutely. Um, but do make sure I suppose the caveat to that is that you you afford that flexibility to everyone where you can there's no no issues regarding fair treatment it's just approaching it sort of sensibly really um, as you've outlined yeah pragmatic approach I mentioned that there's been a recent case which has come to light so if I just touch on that we all like to hear about a case don't we and uh, and find out what happened so uh, this was a case where a helpline advisor had no option but to resign after holiday pay miscalculations and issues went on for would you believe nine years she felt that she was unfairly dismissed and the tribunal has actually ruled that that was the case you know just just give us a bit of a broad overview of that Laura and how that resonates with sometimes some of the cases that you've dealt with yeah this is a I suppose a classic example really of where you know Someone started working for a company. The terms of the contract of employment were not signed and returned because they had questions and queries, not uncommon. But unfortunately, those queries were sort of, you know, seemingly brushed under the carpet. They were ignored. They weren't really taken seriously. They weren't given much priority, which is easy done. You know, in a busy operation, you can see how those sorts of queries can fall to the bottom of your pile. But ultimately, that approach has left this particular company on the receiving end of nearly a £30,000 award in tribunal because of the impact it had on the employee over the nine years. The findings of the tribunal in this case, um, you know, it was basically a fundamental breach of trust and confidence, which is something that you may or may not be familiar with that phraseology. But in allowing that situation to go on up until her resignation nine years later, they saw the toll that that had on the employee and decided with her and agreed with her that she you know, deserve to be compensated for that. It is a good example of how not to deal with employees when raising legitimate concerns. And, and to deal with the queries at the outset. And I, I think in this case, you know, there was a number of individuals that were involved that over the nine year period were involved in the HR. And of course, with the query just being passed from pillar to post, nobody dealt with it. And that's a key thing, isn't it, really? Don't let it escalate. And nobody sometimes wants to deal with that matter. It's not going away. That's the thing. That is the issue with, with things related to sort of holiday pay or holidays uh, entitlement. You know, it's often things that can be very easily resolved, but it does require someone to actually sit down and go through with the individual. Continuity is everything. You know, something that's, you know, going over year on year on year, it does happen. And we see it more often than what you think. You know, sometimes we'll get yes. holiday holiday queries generally and they can be going back years and years because you know you're not talking always about the value you know hundreds of pounds worth of of issue it can sometimes be 10 pound here 30 pounds there or a day here or a day there which doesn't seem that significant at the time but it tops up and it adds up and the fact that 
companies don't have procedures in place to deal with that sort of thing or an allocated person, you know, that's worth its weight in gold. And if you can have those kind of procedures and policies in place, or better yet, it's outlined in your contract, then you are taking away the risk of ending up, you know, as this company did, unfortunately for them. Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, this individual, she got just short of 30000 That's right. Not an insignificant amount of money. At the outset, I mentioned that there's a proposal that the government has published. It's a consultation paper. In there, Laura, I spotted the phrase rolled up holiday pay. Can you just clarify what what's, this is, again, something new on the landscape that might happen? So just explain what could be on the horizon in terms of rolled up holiday pay. So while confirming that the vast majority of EU-derived employment law will remain, this is off the back of Brexit, at least for the moment, they will remain unchanged. The consultation paper that Julia has referred to does confirm that rolled up holiday pay will be allowed. Now, this is previously something which has been commonly used, especially across our clients' industry, as a way to calculate holiday pay, but it actually was deemed as not lawful, which is the current advice as it stands at the moment. That said, this new proposal for rolled up holiday pay to be paid at 12.07% for hours worked is back in the limelight. It is potentially something which will have to be considered again. Do you think that this is will be a welcome proposal for the transport sector? Yes, interestingly, the UK government can clearly see the benefits once on reading the consultation paper. But perhaps surprisingly, and just something to flag here, is that the consultation states that rolled up holiday pay is being proposed as an option for all workers, so not just casual workers. Obviously, for casual workers who only work occasionally, it has obvious benefits to our clients. You know, they don't have to go through the, and they avoid the complexities in trying to calculate holiday entitlement in the protracted way that we do now. So I can see the benefits and I do think it would be seen as a welcomed calculation. Um, Right, so watch this space then. Exactly, yeah, watch this space (laughs) because it could be used for calculating pay for for all workers who have regular hours as well. So let's see. Thanks so much for doing the podcast, Laura. And uh, if you've enjoyed it today, we're going to be rolling out a number of interesting topics really for you. So please rate the podcast and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thank you.